Well, if you have never been here, welcome to Revolution. Um, about uh, we're all about Jesus, so hopefully you are too. Um, I don't really have many announcements tonight. Um, I, we, you know, we had free market this past weekend. So thank you for all of you who volunteered and were able to uh, give donations if you weren't able to give your time. So we thank you for that. It was it went really well, and uh, we, were able to, we were able to help a lot of people out in the community. So um, praise the Lord for that. Uh, I think, um, oh, and if you are new, um, just so you know, uh, please lock your cars. We're in the East End. Um, we keep reminding you guys uh, every week, but just in case you're new, um, there might be something you need to do. Um, Besides that, there's not. I don't really have any announcements. Um, you guys, if you guys didn't know, we do have an online website, so you can listen to the podcast online. If you do not, um, if you aren't able to come, so keep that in mind throughout you know the weeks as you attend here. Um, so just let me pray real quick, and uh, we'll play some music, and we'll get out and greet greet somebody you don't really know. Um, have some good fellowship, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you. Um, for the wonderful building you've given us to come and um, to worship you tonight and to have fellowship. God, we just pray that um, as, as Dave speaks tonight and as we worship through song, that we are able to rid our, rid our minds of, of any distractions and that you speak to our hearts tonight and that we are able to see you um, for how you word and how you truly are, God, and not um, by any misconceptions that we have or what the world says. Um, speak to us tonight. And uh, help us to praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's up, Revolution? I see more people coming in. How are you guys? I like to out people whenever like they come into church. I think it's funny. I always wish that more preachers did that. I'm glad you're here. No, one, you're not, no one's listening to me back there, but I really am glad you're here. It's the cough. Okay, I got you. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, let's do it one more time. What's up, Revolution? Yeah, that was that was legit. So, uh, we finished up our last series last week on like these five core doctrines of Christianity, and this week we're hopping back into the Gospel of Luke. We've been doing this sermon series for like two years, again <laughs> the Gospel of Luke, looking at Jesus's uh, teachings, right? The, the parables, the the stories that he told, um, and just his teaching in general. And the name of that sermon series that we're doing right now is called, Did Jesus Really Say That? Um, and what's really cool about digging into Jesus' teachings, right, is like you always know like Jesus says things like, um, like you know, love people, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, um, you know, help out people who are poor, um, love the disenfranchised and socially downcast. Right? We know Jesus says stuff like that, and we're like, like our, like our inner hippie is like, yeah, dude, like, oh. Sounds so good. It feels good. Um, but if you really like dig into like the not so popular things, like the, like the unknown teachings of Jesus, he says some shocking stuff, right? Like often we, we think that like we think of Jesus like anyone ever, does anyone watch South Park? I know you're in church, but like let's be real here for a minute. Okay, uh, I like South Park. Uh, fire me. Uh, but like we get this we get this picture of Jesus. Um, from, from, like, our culture in South Park, he's, like, this 90-pound wuss that's, like, probably hanging out in San Francisco wearing some Birkenstocks, passing out J's, saying, like, have a good day, man. I hope you guys are good. And we think that's how, we think that's how, that's how Jesus is, uh, just a big, big wuss. Uh, but if you actually read the Bible and read the stuff that Jesus did and the stuff that Jesus says, I just now realized I said Jesus is passing out J's in San Francisco. I apologize for that. That was, 
I'm probably, elder call, we're going to have an elder meeting after this, I'm going to get yelled at. Um, Sorry, I don't know why I did that. Um, Nonetheless, we think Jesus is a wuss, but but whenever we dig into his teachings, he says a lot of really shocking stuff. Um, Like, Jesus doesn't play, right? Like, I I like to think of Jesus as kind of a gangster, like always wearing shades and just like throwing shade at people when necessary. Um, Right, so like we see in Jesus' teachings, um, whenever it's necessary, whenever someone's beaten down by life, he gives Grace, right? Like he gives uh, a teaching about how God uh, won't des- like desert them and how much they're loved. Um, and whenever someone really needs humbled, right, he, he gives a teaching or a saying ab- about um, like, how he's gonna, like how he's rebuking them. Like you need to stop or God's going to humble you himself. Um, Jesus always gives teachings in accordance to the person that he's talking to or the group of people that he's talking to. Uh, but sometimes, like Jesus just says some hard stuff. Um, Jesus just has some really, really difficult stuff, right? Where we're like, like, we don't expect it. We're like, are, are you sure, Lord? Like, do you really mean that? Like, are you positive? Like, let's, let's take a couple of steps back. Um, and tonight's one of those teachings. It's tough. Um, it's kind of scary, to be totally honest. Um, and actually, in this text this evening, Jesus is going to say um, what some people would consider the least evangelistic saying that he ever said. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 14 this evening, verses 25 through 33. Uh, But before we get into that, um, I want you guys to know there are Bibles in the backs of those pews, blue Bibles. Take those home if you're new here, or if the Bible you have doesn't make much sense to you, take that home. Um, But in the text tonight, Jesus says some stuff that, like, preachers today, like, a a lot, um, not that I think that I'm some great preacher, but, like, a lot of preachers wouldn't even read to their church. Um, He's going to talk about what it means to be a disciple, right, what it means to follow him, and we... Everyone here should want to know what it means to follow Jesus, what it really means to be his disciple, because we claim to be doing it now. If you're here and you say that you're a Christian, you claim to be a disciple of Christ. Or if you're here um, and someone drug you here or you lost a bet or whatever it is, like maybe you're a little bit curious about what it means to follow Jesus, right? You're questioning. You, you would want to know, I would imagine. Um, so for those of us who are Christians this evening, let's, let's see, does what Jesus says a disciple's life looks like match up with our lives? Like, let's check and see. Um, and if you're curious, let's do it anyway, right? Um, but I'm convinced, this is why this is important for us to look at this, I am convinced that many people think that they follow Jesus. Many people think that they're disciples of Jesus, but they've fooled themselves because they don't really know what that means and they're not really following him at all. And it's evident by their lives. Um, but before we hit the text, right, some background. Um, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, um, he knows he's going he's gonna to die in Jerusalem. He knows that. He's walking there. And, uh, and as he's walking, he's being followed by a mixed group of people. Right? They want to hear his teaching. They want to see some of the stuff that he's going to do. And when I say a mixed group of people, I mean both believers and unbelievers are following Jesus around. Um, there are disciples and those consider, considering becoming disciples. Now, what's a disciple? I've said this a lot. I said it's a follower of Jesus. A disciple, as simply as I can say, is a student. Um, not like a math student either, right? It's not like, oh, well, like, let's remember all these, these parables that Jesus has given us. There will be a test on Friday. That's not how this works. Um, it's a whole lot deeper than that. Like a student of um, Jesus, a disciple is like this, right? Just easy. You learn how to walk. You learn how to talk. You learn how to think. You learn how to eat. You learn how to dress. Every single thing, go and do just like the teacher. That's a disciple in a nutshell. Um, 
And to be a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost, means this. You believe in Jesus. And what I mean by that is you have faith in Jesus as who he claims to be. Jesus says he is the Messiah, right? He's the one who was foretold in the Old Testament that was going to come, and he was going to suffer the penalty for the sins of God's people in their place, that he was going to be the one who makes God's people righteous in the eyes of God. Right, that he is the son of God, that Jesus says these things, that we would have faith in him. That's the first thing that it means to be a disciple. You have to have faith. You have to trust that Jesus is that. Um, and the reason why I say that is if you're going to follow him, if you're going to pattern your life after him, I, I want you to consider this. You have to believe that because Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or God. Right? The, the famous C.S. Lewis, what is it called, the trilemma, liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's, he's one of the three. He can't be both like he, or any of the combination of the three. He must be one or the other. Right? And people don't intentionally follow someone that is lying to them about his divinity. Uh, people don't intentionally follow people who are crazy. Right? I mean, you, could, you can, I guess. That would be fun. People are like Scientologists. That could be an interesting time. I don't know. Um, or Jesus is God. I can't think of what I was going to say. This has never happened to me before up here. I'm just going to come clean with you guys. I'm trying to use less notes ever so like I can talk to you more and not be staring at this thing so much. This is what happens. <laughs> All right, cool. We've broken that ice. I've messed up. This is good. Um, but again, people don't intentionally follow liars or lunatics, so... To be a disciple of Christ, you must first have faith in Jesus. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you're not a Christian. So if you don't have faith in Jesus, you're not a Christian, and you're still under God's wrath for your sin. You've offended God, and you have to pay the punishment for that, and that is damnation and hell for eternity. That's what God says the penalty for sin is. So Jesus, again, is talking to both believers and unbelievers as he's walking to Jerusalem. And to the believers, right, so if you're a Christian here, Jesus is going to give you a reminder Right? This is the life that we live if we're going to follow Jesus. And if you're not a believer, Jesus is giving you a warning. This is the life, if you want to follow him, that you're going to have to live. And we're going to see Jesus hides nothing at all. He, puts, he, he pulls no punches. He puts all cards on the table and says, this is what it means to follow me. Are you in or are you out? All right, so let's check it out. Luke chapter 14. Uh, Verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. That is heavy, right? I know I sound like Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future a lot. Like, that is, that is heavy, Doc, right? Like, that is, that is so weighty to me. Like, this is what being a disciple looks like. Um, that punches me square in the face. But first, let's get something out of the way. What is Jesus, act, like, what is Jesus not saying before we get into what Jesus is 
uh, actually trying to say. So I want to be very clear. Jesus is not saying this. He's not saying that your salvation and forgiveness hinges on how good or obedient of a disciple that you are. That is not what he's saying here. Um, Again, I, I want to be very clear. We just spent the last couple of weeks just talking about how are we saved. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, period. It's always by trusting that Jesus has made you right in God's eyes. It's all about trusting that Jesus has taken your sin upon himself and suffered God's wrath for it on the cross, rose from the dead, and has made you righteous in God's eyes by his perfect life, not your obedience. I just want to make that just crystal clear. Jesus is not saying that your salvation hinges on how good of a disciple that you are. Our moral obedience will not save, ever. Only Jesus saves. Only faith in Jesus saves. Right? So that's what he's not saying. Right? But what is Jesus saying? In a nutshell, I think Jesus is saying this. To follow Jesus takes radical commitment to Jesus. That's what it means. So follow my logic on this. This is fun. Um, first thing, faith is trusting that Jesus took our punishment. Right? The second thing, faith is trusting that Jesus has made us righteous in God's eyes, not our own works. So faith is trusting in Jesus. I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but here we go. Faith is trusting in Jesus. So faith would also be trusting Jesus' commands, right? Trusting that his commands are good. His commands both to do, right, to actively do, to actively love, to actively forgive people, um, to, to give your uh, possessions away whenever you see someone in need, um, to actively pursue that kind of a life, and also his commands to abstain, Right? His commands to, uh, to, to be sexually pure, right? to abstain from sexual sin. His, his commands to abstain from lying. Right? Things like that. All of his commands, both to do actively and to abstain, are good. To trust that is faith. Um, that they're for our benefit. That they're for God's glory. That we trust that they're not just arbitrary commands from a jerk. Right? But that they're good for us. And also, we trust that they're not optional because Jesus is king. He is God. His word is law. So really, Jesus is saying that if you want to be a disciple, it takes true trust. It takes true faith to be Jesus' disciple. And true faith results in radical commitment to Jesus. Right? Or put this another way. We trust Jesus with our whole life, not just our salvation. Right? This is kind of riveting, right? This took me a while to figure out. It's not just I trust him to save me, but it's I trust him to teach me how to live. So we act on his word, right? Um, if he says, you know, life is not about possessions, you should give to the poor. All right, gotcha. You know, he says, go make disciples of all nations, right? So go tell people uh, the gospel that he has died in their place for their sin and made them righteous if they will believe. And we say, gotcha. He says, you know, go kill your sin. Put to death whatever is in you that I've told you to stop. And we say, gotcha, Lord. Right? Like, like we're going to roll with that. Um, and, and this is really, really important for us to understand um, that faith is, is radical commitment to Jesus because a ton of people think that faith is just assenting to some facts about Jesus. Right? Yeah, he's the Son of God. Yeah, God's a trinity, whatever that means, whatever. Uh, Jesus died and came back from the dead and ascended to heaven and he's going to come back someday. Like that you assent to those facts, like, yeah, it's true. And then you come to church once in a while and maybe like crack your Bible open. Like people, you ever play Bible roulette? 
I know like a lot of people do that. They like just pop it open. That's the verse for the day. Um, like doing that and like coming to church um, occasionally, like that that is being a disciple of Christ, that that is what being a Christian is. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here at all. Right? What Jesus is actually talking about in that passage we read is wholesale priority change in your life. Right? And Jesus actually gives three examples in this passage, just three verses um, that give us a look at what this priority change is. All right, verse 26, Jesus says this, sum it up. You must love him more than you love anything. Right, more than you love anyone. You have to love him more than you love your spouse, more than your kids. All right, that's starting to get personal, right? More than your friends, more than your family, more than anyone. Verse 27, he says, you have to take up your own cross, right? You have to bear a cross, um, which is throwing this out to you, like everyone uses that as like some like lame metaphor, like this is my burden to bear for the day, this is my cross. Um, not like that at all. Um, like cross means you're going to die, like you're carrying your own instrument of execution, right? So you're going to have to die to yourself is what he's saying in verse 27. And then verse 33 he says you have to give up everything, right? Everything, everything that you think your life should be about, give it up in exchange for what he says. This is what we must be willing to do, right? I say willing because maybe it won't get that extreme for you, but Jesus says you have to be willing to do these things, right? So in a word, I would argue this, and this might be unpopular, but whatever. This is revolution. We do all kinds of unpopular things. Um, the, The picture that Jesus gives of discipleship is suffering, yeah, I can you just feel like this is going to be one of the big smiling sermons, right? Yeah. All right, the, the picture that Jesus gives is suffering. Um, and I'll throw this to you too. Different people are going to suffer differently. And, and what I mean by that, um, my grandfather is 72 years old, I do believe. He just turned 72. Mom gave me the head nod in the back. I'm good to go. I'm a good grandson. Uh, Grandpa just turned 72, right? He, he is a devout Christian, I think, for almost the last 50 years or so. And... He's in the store, like, selling people a pack of cigarettes and, like, hey, man, what do you think about Jesus? Like, Grandpa's, like, he's a thug with that kind of stuff, right? Um, He loves Jesus. He he talks to people about him all the time, public, private, whatever. And my grandpa has never been beaten one time for that. My grandpa has never lost a spouse over that. Um, He's never lost a relationship with anyone in his family, as far as I know, over that. He's never been to jail. Um, And he's obviously never been killed because he's still alive now. Um, But we look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says he's been to jail more times than he can remember. That the scars on his body bear evidence for how faithful he's been to Christ. And then Paul gets his head cut off for preaching the gospel. Clearly, Paul had to suffer more than my grandfather. Um, So different people are going to suffer differently. Different people are going to suffer different amounts for the sake of Jesus. I just want to throw that out to you as well. Um, So that's why I say you must be willing to do these things, but they might not happen to you exactly. But why do I use the word word suffer? because discipleship is going to hurt sometimes, right? If Jesus is saying you've got to be willing to give up everything and everyone and your desire and, and, and die to yourself daily, this is going to hurt, right? And furthermore, if we're going to follow Jesus, just throwing this out to you, um, look at Jesus' life, right? And he was hated, and his whole family thought he was crazy. Society hated him, and he eventually was beaten to death, I mean, essentially. I mean, I know he was nailed to a cross, but, like, just throw that out there. We look at Jesus' life. Don't ever expect your life to have no suffering, if, if your whole life is meant to be a disciple, to mimic Jesus, there's going to be hurt. So there's going to be hardship at times. Um, but what do those hardships look like? All right, verse 26, 
Um, Jesus is talking about relational issues that can come as a result of following him. This is family, this is friends, this is romantic relationships even, right? He says like spouse. Um, This is a parental relationships, everything, right? And that makes me ask the question, how can following like the like king of peace, right? Like this loving Jesus, how can this result in issues relationally, right? Um, and for us, right, because we can talk about the first century, right? Like, like people get killed because they follow Christ. Like how can this result in issues for us now? Um, I would say this. Jesus gives us a straight-up command to go and make disciples, which means he gives us a solid command to go tell people that they're sinners, that they deserve God's wrath for all of eternity, and that they need to turn from the way that they're living, put their faith in Christ, and begin to follow Jesus. That is an offensive message. Like, in my, in my mind. Like, because no one thinks they're bad. No one really thinks that they're going to hell, generally speaking. That's incredibly offensive. Sharing the gospel with someone can cost you a friendship. Some of us here have experienced that. Right? Because it's awkward. Right? Let's be honest for, like, for a second. Right? Or, or, like, people don't want to hear that kind of a message. They don't want to think about eternity. They don't want to think about dying. They don't want to think about the wrongs that they've done in their lives. And yet, as Christians, we have to bring it up to them. Right? Like, we don't have a choice. They would say, I don't want to hear that. Um, go away for now. Right? And we know, like, okay, we'll stop talking today. But, like, at some point down the line, like, I'm going to have to talk to you about this again. Because Jesus commands me to, and I love Jesus and I love Jesus. I got to word this right. I love Jesus more than I want to be your friend. If that makes any sense. I love Jesus and I'm willing to jeopardize my relationship with you for his sake because he commands me to talk to you about this. Right? So sharing the gospel can cost us relationships um, with anyone because no one wants to hear this kind of stuff. Um, and then I'll say another thing that can cost us relationships with people. And, and I am not uh, telling you to be a Republican with what I'm getting ready to say, right? I mean, do you. Like, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Um, but I'm not talking about politics up here. I want to keep our tax exemption status for as long as possible as a church. Uh, well, you can laugh at that. That's kind of funny, right? Um, but this, standing for biblical ethics. That's seriously going to tick people off. Like, and I don't mean like standing on the Bible with like a bullhorn, like telling people like how crappy they are necessarily, but I mean like necessarily. Like, don't do that at all. Why did I say that? Right? Um, but like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? But standing like for biblical ethics, right? Like, we're Christians. God says life begins in the womb. He does. Read the Psalms. Says it straight up. Like, He knits us together in our mother's womb. That that, that a uh, child in the mother's belly is not a fetus, and we stand up for that in our society, and we vote against things that would, that would cause people to like, be able to terminate that life indiscriminately. Right? Like, we would stand for that. We would oppose that, and that would cause us problems. We stand on, on biblical ethics for sexuality, that we say sexual, like, sexual expression should only be used within the confines of marriage, right? Say that in a crowd of people and see how many people like, laugh at you and think you're an idiot. Like, let's be honest, it's not on GQ. Um, or like gender, right? That we believe you know, God is omnipotent and omniscient, and he knows all, and, and how he makes someone is what they're supposed to be. Say that now. Make that thought of yours known. Talk about marriage, that we believe it's between one man and one woman, and see what that gets you in our society, right? Like, think about that for a second. 
Um, but I'll say this. If you do any of that stuff that I just talked about, like sharing the gospel, telling people that they need to repent or they're going to suffer God's wrath, or standing for any of these um, biblical ethics, listen to me very closely. If you do those things like a jerk, right, like Westboro Baptist style, if you do something like that and you lose friendships, that is your fault. You did not lose that friendship for the sake of Jesus. You did not honor Jesus because you were being a punk. Right? We can speak the truth in love. That's what we're told to do. So as I'm telling you, you know, standing for biblical ethics and sharing the gospel with people um, and being willing to sacrifice relationships for those kinds of, of things, if it comes down to it, I'm not telling you to be a jerk. Right? And truth be told, if you can't speak the truth in love, then shut up. Um, just throwing that out there to you. Um, but this, like us living this kind of a way, is really us saying that we love Jesus so much that we are willing to jeopardize relationships for his sake. Um, not that we want to lose our friends, not that we want to lose relationships that we have with people, but we just love Jesus more. And we strive to be obedient to him because we love him. Right? So the first reason that I say we're going to have to suffer if we're going to follow Christ is that we don't want to lose our friends we don't want to be hated. If you've ever experienced either of those things, you don't want that at all. Right? But I also say suffering because Jesus says to take up your cross. He says to bear your cross. To die daily. Right? So whenever I, we, look, we think about the cross, right? it's usually like a, a necklace or like it's become like something like that. Like it's just a, a symbol. Um, it's a means of death whenever Jesus is saying this. Like, like, be willing to take up your own noose and walk to the gallows. Saying, are you prepared to die? Right? And furthermore, the cross, that's a long, painful death. It would take people days, usually, to die on a cross. This is a long, drawn-out bit of suffering. Right? So, now that we got that imagery in our mind, taking up your cross means to die daily. Right? To die to yourself. And hear me, this is just a really cool song title. Anyone here know Sleeping Giant? Me and Dave Allison and a couple other people. That's what I'm talking about. It's a Christian metal band. They really hit this idea of dying daily really well. They have a song called The Cross is Suicide. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. You're going to have to die daily. And what that means is that we're going to be willing to give up our will for God's. Right? That we're willing to sacrifice everything. Our dreams, our, our, our desires, our ambitions, our preferences for how we would live our lives. Even our lives themselves in order to do what Jesus directs us to do, that everything, we're willing to just to throw it, right? And in emptying our hands of what we want for our lives, that we would embrace the cross. And to embrace the cross is to embrace the will of God over us. And that usually looks like a couple of things. Um, one, I think that that looks like killing sin in your life. To embrace God's will. God says we must be holy like he is holy. Um, and this is where we, we look at Jesus' commands, what he tells us to abstain from, and we say, all right, man, I'm going to start taking steps to end that, whatever it might be. Like if you're a dude who watches porn all the time, you're going to get a flip phone if necessary. You're going to give away your laptop and go down to the public library to do your schoolwork or whatever kind of business work that you have to do. You're taking steps to kill that sin in you. You're praying for heart change. You're doing whatever is necessary to rid that in your life. Um, so killing sin is a huge part of what it means to die daily, right? And the, and the second thing is, is this. Again, I've talked about it already. Actively doing. Right? Like being generous for most of us is not natural. 
right? Because, like, let's be honest, I like that 50 bucks in my pocket. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up. I struggle with greed really bad. But Jesus says, actively go give. So we would do, and that's just one example, but we would do what is unnatural to us because we are dying to ourselves to do what he wants us to do, right? So killing sin and actively doing, this is all self-denial. This is cross-bearing, right? Literally denying what you want to do for what Jesus wants you to do. So all that being said, why do I think Jesus is saying suffering is a big part of following him? Right? Why do I say that? Because you're at war if you're a Christian. If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are at war. And I'm not talking about war against the government or war against those daggone liberals on the West Coast. Right? Like It's not what I'm talking about because you hear that a lot. Um, that one really annoying preacher that's on Facebook all the time, can't remember his name, he wears a hat like Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit backwards all the time. Um, yeah, some of you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but we're at war. Um, and I'll, I'll throw this out. I say suffering because war doesn't come without scars. Right? Like a fight doesn't come without blood and bruises. It doesn't. But who are we at war with? Again, it's not outside what we are, what we're at war with, why it's going to be suffering for us to die to ourselves daily and to do what is unnatural for us and to be willing to sacrifice friendships. We're at war with ourselves the moment that we start following Christ. Right? And I say that because we have a nature in us that desires to sin. You know what I hear you ever heard about people talking about a sin nature? Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans a lot, especially Romans chapter 7. He's talking about a, a sin nature. Um, this is why we want to sin. That is our desire that we're born with. This is why this is, I'm getting into the why it's a fight, why it's a war. Um, this is what pushes us to want to disobey God, want to ignore his commands and do our own thing. But followers of Jesus have received a new nature, right? So now we have this, these two natures in us, right? Like it's a duality, if you'll forgive my slipknot reference. Uh, It's a duality. And this new nature that we've been given actually desires to obey. Um, And this second nature, uh, Paul tells us in Romans, is actually able to win over the sinful nature. And this is why the Bible tells us that we're no longer slaves to sin. This is why we actually have this part in us, if we're following Christ, that we do desire to obey Him. We do desire to put sin to death. We do desire to do that which is unnatural to us and actively obey. Um, but consider this, you've got two natures. One wants you to sin, the other, wants, other one wants you to obey Christ. They're at war. They're never ceasing. Right? Anyone as a Christian, like, let's be real for a second, does anyone ever feel like this internal conflict that like, never stops? Like ever? Like, I, I don't want to listen to Jesus right now, but then there's something like compelling you, like, but I got to, right? Like, I, I, I got to go for it. I got to try. Like Paul actually talks about that in, in Romans chapter 7. He says, like, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Like, what is up with that? Why, do I, why is that the war within me? Right? Like, that's our lives now. If you're a Christian, you're always fighting with yourself. Um, right? So, like, on one hand, like, going back to the things we were talking about, the kind of suffering, on one hand, you want your friendships, on one hand, we want our relationships. We want our romantic relationships. We want our, our family and paternal relationships. Um, and we want that at all costs. And then on the other hand, we want obedience to Jesus. right? So we want to share the gospel with people. So those are two things um, in tension. On the one hand, we want to kill sin. We want to do, or we want to sin, rather. And we want to 
do our will instead of God's. And on the other hand, we want to obey Christ and do His will, obey His commands. So there's always an internal fight. So I say suffering. When I think of the cross and taking up your cross because this is a lifelong thing. This is a long, drawn-out process. Right? And, and warring to kill what is inside of ourselves that Jesus doesn't want is hard. And it hurts to do this, right? Dying daily would be painful. That's because self-denial is completely unnatural for us. But all that being said, Jesus says, count the cost. Right, let that sink in for a second. Count the cost. Jesus is not hiding the pain. He's being very plain here. He's laying it out for us. He's saying, this life, if you choose to follow me, will cost you something. It may cost you everything. It may cost you less than others, but it will cost you something because everything must change. Am I worth it to you? That's really what Jesus is asking. Is knowing me worth it to you? Right? And this makes me ask this. Who is Jesus to ask this of me? Right? Like, who is, who is Jesus? Like, who does he think he is sometimes? Right? And then this, right? Even as a, even as a Christian, I asked myself this question when I was reading this passage in Luke. Why would anyone commit to this? Why would anyone commit to this life that Jesus says is going to suck sometimes? Like, why would you do that? Right? Now, I, I always teach this. I always teach, um, and I'll probably do it till the day I die, love gives way to more love. Or if you like the King James Version, love begets love. Um, and what I mean by that is love gives way to more love. Um, the only appropriate response to love is love. I'm using the word love a lot. Um, sound like one of the Beatles. Um, but the only appropriate response for love, you can, you can respond in other ways, but the only one that actually makes sense is reciprocation. Right? So keeping that in mind, I, I would throw this out. The only reason that any of us are ever willing ever to suffer for someone is because we love them. Think about that for a second. The only reason that we're ever willing to suffer for someone is because we love them. So taking that thought, we will only ever enter into discipleship of Jesus if we love him. Period. There's no other reason. And the only way that we're ever going to actually fall in love with Jesus is if we understand his love for us that will give us a desire to reciprocate it. Until we really truly understand what Paul says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, he showed his love for us that he would die for us. That word sinner, let's think about that. Until we really understand that everything we did was an offense against God, because it wasn't done in glory to Him. That we didn't worship Him, we actively spat in His face in disobedience on the daily. And He would still send His Son to die for us. Like, just think about that in human terms. Would would you do that for someone if you had a son? No, you wouldn't. But that's exactly what God did. Think about like the just huge, like magnanimous love that He's given to us. Consider that, and, and consider Jesus, what He did. That He took on the relational pain that He's calling us to. His whole family thought He was nuts. 
right? The, the societal hatred that he took on for the things that he was teaching. Everyone disowned him. You want to talk about relational um, pain? One of his best friends that followed him for three years betrayed him to his death. You want to talk about relational pain? Jesus has suffered that for you. You want to talk about self-denial that Jesus is calling us to? He makes it very clear in one of his last prayers before he goes to the cross. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to suffer God's wrath. But he's willing to do it. Why is he willing to deny himself? Because he loves us and he wants to save us. Think about that great love that he has shown us. And listen, if that isn't the most beautiful thing to us, if Jesus isn't isn't the most beautiful person to us after knowing that, then we will never be His disciples. If it's just a story, right? If it's just a story, yeah, Jesus died for sin, came back from the dead. If it's just a story, or if it's just some historical facts for us, that we assent to and just check off our list of like believies, right? If it's just that, then it's never going to truly result in actual discipleship, right? It might result in religion, right? Like, yeah, like I assent to these facts. Church says some of those facts that I can get down with, like, and you come to church and maybe you'll read the Bible once in a while. It may result in religion, but it will not result in discipleship unless you love Him. All right, like, this is kind of a funny way to say it. Um, Alexander the Great. Yeah, we're switching gears hard, ladies and gentlemen. Alexander the Great was the king of Macedonia. And I promise you this. If my mother told me that she didn't agree with that, I would not argue with her about it. I wouldn't. It's just a historical fact. I don't care. I'm not losing friends over that. I'm not going like, to let society hate me. I'll just shut up and stop talking about Alexander the Great. I don't love that guy. I could care less about that guy. It's just a historical fact. I don't care. I will not suffer anything for that fact. But if we love Jesus, if we have true faith, if we really believe that He's loved us first in this way, then we will die for Him if necessary because He died for us first. That makes us want Him. To put it another way, I love my wife. I love my wife. I want her more than anyone. I really do. I want her more than any of you guys in here. I know that. Um, right? But I, I love my wife. I desire her more than anyone. And if I come upon a burning building and I know that my wife is inside the building, I'm going in. I don't care if I get burned. I don't care if the ceiling falls down on me. I don't care if I inhale smoke. I don't care if I get cut with broken glass. I don't care what it takes. I'm getting in and I'm getting to my wife because I want her. Because I love her. So think about this. Jesus is in the building. He does not need rescue. That's the one part where this breaks down. But Jesus is in the building. And the burning building is discipleship. To get to Jesus, we must run headlong into the building. And the building might fall. We might die inside the building. We might might become sick Whatever it takes, we might suffer to go to Jesus inside of the building, but the suffering is worth it because we gain Him because He's in there. But we must count the cost. Never forget that on your life. You must count the cost before you follow Jesus. 
and some don't think that it's worth it. I, I, had, I had a friend um, that I sat down with last year, and, and she's like an agnostic atheist. Um, not sure exactly where she was lining up at, at the time or where she's at now. Um, but I sat down with her, and I was like, hey, man, like, let's, let's get some coffee. Let's talk about you know, why you don't believe in, in Jesus, why you don't believe Christianity is true. And we sat down, and I used to be an atheist, for those of you who don't know me. And I spent a long time talking about, um, like, here's a philosophical reason to believe in God. Here is, um, here is a, a historical reason to believe that it's, like, it's completely reasonable to think that Jesus came back from the dead. And I'm throwing these different arguments out to her, and I'm sharing the gospel with her, telling her about like, this undeserved love that God is extending her, this great that she doesn't deserve, that he would love her this much even though she doesn't love him. And at the end of the whole thing, I said, so what do you think, man? And she said, I have no rebuttal for anything that you've said. And I actually think that what you're telling me is true. She's like, I, uh, and I went down the list. Like, so you think Jesus like, lived a perfect life, died, came back from the dead, ascended to heaven, all that? She's like, absolutely. She's like, I really think that you're right. And I said, so will you follow Christ? Will you repent and put your faith in Jesus? And she looked me dead in the eye and said, no. And I was dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. And I said, why? She said, because I know what that means. It means that my whole life has to change, and I like my life how it is. That was her response. She did not find Jesus to be worth the cost of discipleship. And I, 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 I can say this firmly. She said that. She believes that because she doesn't truly believe the gospel. She doesn't, it's just some facts to her still. She doesn't really believe that she's been loved in this way. She doesn't in her heart know that God has extended grace to her that she doesn't deserve. She doesn't in her heart truly believe that Jesus is who He is. So it's not worth it to her. And if it's just a bunch of facts and doesn't take root in our hearts, we will never be willing to give up anything for Christ. We will never be willing to do anything for Christ. Unless the gospel message is real to you, unless it's beautiful to you, unless it causes you to love Jesus, you will never think that the cost is worth it. But if you do, if you love him, then it's gain. The cost is gain. If you love him, that's, that's what it is. Like I might lose this, but I gain him. So I don't care what this is. I want him because I love him. Him, because He has loved me first. So the question that I want to I pose to you is this. What sin needs to go in your life? Right? What sin needs to go? What is it that you're doing that Jesus doesn't want you to do? Or, rather, what do you need to begin actively doing? Right? What sin needs to be killed? You know, are, you, are you like an avid porn watcher? You know, because we got a, a lot of that. I'm just going to be straight with you. Like, it's just a lot of that in our culture in general. Are you an avid porn watcher? Are you, like, sleeping with your girlfriend? Are you, um, and I'm just trying to go down, like, a list of morality tells. Like, what are you doing? Um, are you dishonest? Right? Do you find yourself being greedy? 
You know, what is it? Uh, do you not make enough time for your spouse? Are, are you not um, hanging out with your kids enough? Like, are you not being a good parent? Are you not being a good husband or wife? Like, like what is your sin? What needs to go? And then, on the other hand, actively, what do you need to start doing? You need to start, like, pursuing forgiveness of someone. You need to start speaking kinder to people. Does your attitude need shifted? You know, what needs to happen? That's our challenge that Jesus really gives us here if we're going to call ourselves disciples. So search your hearts. Everyone knows, like, what's going on. Like, everyone, like, you can, you can think of one thing. Like, there's that one thing on your mind that you need to start doing or you need to stop doing. Like, it's not that hard. And if it is, think harder. <laughs> right? You can, you can find it, I promise. Um, and then kill it or do it. Whatever it is. But for those who believe, right, I want to give us some encouragement, right, because I know it's been like hammer, bashing, like follow Jesus, be a disciple, like, and, and I get that, and that's kind of how Jesus is talking here. Um, but for those who believe, I want to encourage you with this. You're not following Jesus by yourself. You're not. Right? On, on a lower level, like you have us here, like you have like the leadership here, we want to talk with you. Um, anyone you ever see on the stage, we want to talk with you, we, we want to pray with you, we want to hang out with you. Like, whatever you're struggling with, we want to bear that burden with you. We want to help you take steps to get past that. We want to help you take steps to be a better, more faithful disciple to Jesus. But on a greater level, right, aside from just the community here, you're not doing this alone because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you if you're a Christian. Right? This is God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living in you. And we have a new victorious nature over our sin nature by His power. Right? God Himself is working in us. Just real quick, Philippians chapter 2 says this, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. He's saying, be a disciple right there. Why? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Right? Like God is the one giving you both the desire and the ability to be a disciple. Right? This isn't just your raw willpower killing sin. This isn't just your raw willpower walking in obedience to Christ. He is actually giving you the desire and the capacity to do it. Right? And that being said, you have to be proactive. Right? Like your salvation was entirely a work of God. But like you being a disciple and, and be growing closer to Christ, you must be proactive in that. Like God gives you the desire. You must act on that desire. Right? Don't be idle. Take steps, whatever those might be. But know this. Um, when we fail, and you will... A lot. If you've not been doing this very long, you'll fail a lot. Um, But when you fail, I want you to know this, because not knowing this crushed me for a long time. It is not about how good or how obedient of a disciple that you are. What matters is radical commitment to Jesus. Radical commitment is not perfection. Radical commitment is this, having a heart posture That tells us to get back up and keep pushing on, pursuing Jesus, even when we fail. That's what radical commitment is, is that I don't just give up. I'm not just complacent with where I'm at, but that I'm going to keep pushing, even though I've failed, even though I've fallen. I'm going to get up and keep going, constantly pushing to die to self and become more like Christ. That's radical commitment, not perfection. That's discipleship, not perfection. So as we leave here, let's set our eyes on pursuing Jesus. Right, being true disciples and searching our hearts for what must go and beginning to do what reflects our teacher and our King Jesus. 
Let's, let's do that as we leave. And, and, and let's not do that out of fear. Let's, let's do that without fear. Right? Not fearing the cost that might come with it, but accepting that cost out of love. Because we have a desire for more of the one who has loved us first. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're better to us than we deserve. You love us even though we're sinners. You loved us before we loved you. Father, help us to love you more. Help us to seek your face daily. Give us the desire to do what you desire us to do. Give us the ability. You, you, make that truth known to us. You've already given us the desire. You've already given us the ability. Make that known to us. God, help us to not fear what it might cost to follow you. God, not that we have a martyr complex and we desire to suffer, but that we just realize it's, it's just part of the gig sometimes, but that you're worth it, that you did it first for us and that you never ask us to do anything that you haven't done first. Father, help us to be legitimate disciples and not fool ourselves. <coughs> Help us to walk in obedience and glorify you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.